You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. We are in a study of the book of James. And if you don't have one of these nifty little booklets, there are extra ones out there in the lobby. Feel free to go get them and follow along. But just a review... James, very small, awesome book. You can read it in about 20 minutes, or if you're me, maybe a couple hours. But it's an easy read, and it's just filled with some of the real jewels of Scripture verses. I would suggest read it over and over and over. It was written by Jesus' half-brother. Now, I know it's probably a... I don't want to make a stupid joke, but I can't help when I hear, that's probably not the right term, half-brother. I immediately think of a guy with one arm and a leg walking in circles. He's also known James the Just. It was written in Jerusalem because James was the leader of the Jerusalem church, and he, as far as we know, he never left that area. It was a hand-carried letter taken from house church to house church, and they probably copied it and kept their own copies of it. We didn't have to worry about copyrights back then. Written around A.D. 50 the year of our Lord, 50, which means 20 years after Jesus walked this earth. That's incredible that something is written so close to the event in times as such it was. Probably the first New Testament book written, by the way, the books of the Bible are not in chronological order. They're based by genre and size, basically. And James died for his faith. He was martyred. There's various reports of how he died, but everyone's in agreement that he suffered and died for what he believed in. And the purpose of this book is really instruct Christians in true, real, tangible faith. It's interesting that there's really no indication that James ever believed that his brother was the Messiah. But when you think of it, it's not so far-fetched because if your big brother claimed to be the creator of the universe, you would probably have a little doubt in his uh, integrity as well. But if you watched that brother live his faith out perfectly and you witnessed him die for that faith unwaveringly, and if you waited to see if what he claimed came true, And a few days later, he came up to you and said, I'm back. We might all become believers in that same situation. There's a key verse from James that kind of summarizes the whole thing. It's 1 verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And last week we talked about deceiving ourselves, that if we claim to be in the faith, but yet we don't have any evidence and show it at all, you might want to reconsider that maybe you aren't. Before that, we learned of the sin of partiality. Don't show favor to certain people because they are perhaps of higher stature. Consider poor people and rich people to be equal. Don't discriminate toward people who see things differently, like in politics or denominations, religions, social class, 
physical appearance. And then before that, we learn about putting our faith in action. Don't be just hearers of the word, but be doers. And we began this study by considering it pure joy when we face trials and testing of any kind, because that brings about perseverance. There's a story of two trees that grow on a mountain. One was on the windward side, one was on the leeward side. The windward one got bashed and beat up and its limbs were broken, really took a beating every storm that came in, while the one on the leeward side never got that wind. It grew very wide, tall, straight, beautiful and stately. The storm of the century came, and that one on the windward side was beaten and battered just like it always had been, and it lost a few more limbs. And at the end of the storm, it still stood strong. That beautiful, majestic tree on the windward side, which had never been tattered or battered by such storms, was ripped from its roots, fell down into the valley, and was destroyed. We are made stronger by the trials that we go through. So this morning we continue with chapter 3 of the book of James. And today is a more trepidatious topic. It's taming the tongue. And too many types of taming to tactfully and totally tackle it today. But I'm going to do my best. But you're likely to find that there is one aspect of taming the tongue that might take precedence over more most of the other ones. And you might even know where I'm leading this to, but wait, wait, don't tell me. And that is the title of our message today. Wait, wait, don't tell me. Interesting thing about things about the tongue, it has no bones, ligaments, tendons to control its movement. It has eight muscles independently operating, unrestricted. Remember that. There's nothing to restrict your tongue. Rock stars like to show it off, like Mick Jagger from the Rolling Stones or Gene Simmons from Kiss, neither of which I listened to when I was back in my rock and roll days. But it just remembers, uh, reminds me that when you're talking about rock stars, that a star is nothing more than a big, giant ball of hot gas. Your tongue print is unique. No one else has one just like yours. It's like a snowflake or a fingerprint. And perhaps the way you use it might be the way people identify you or characterize you. There's a saying called, cat got your tongue? And honestly, I don't know how that fits in here, but I just put it in because I had to say something about it. I was in a speech contest one time, actually more times than... I should have been, but there was a speech contest where you have the opportunity to be given a topic, and you have 30 seconds to begin your speech about that topic with no preparation. Hated it. But I was there watching all these other contestants just brilliantly belt out these awesome speeches about cliches. That was the topic. They were given a cliché. And they had to come up with a speech about that cliché. 
Then my number was drawn. I went up there, and I was so nervous because ah, that was not my strong point. And the contest leader gave me this cliche. Cat got your tongue? Big old smile came across my face, and I just went, And I won the contest. It violated the rules because a speech contest, you have to speak, right? But they waived the rules because it was such an unusual scenario. And I won the contest by never even speaking. All right. Doesn't have anything to do with it, but I'll probably never, ever get to say that again. Wisdom can be personified by the use or the misuse of our tongue. Proverbs 17 says this. The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint. And whoever has understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent. And discerning if they hold their tongues. Interesting to note that the serpent in the Garden of Eden basically lost his tongue for misusing it. There are scholars who say that it's possible, that it's plausible that Adam and Eve actually could communicate with animals, verbally perhaps. But when the devil came and misused that snake's tongue and God forced that animal to crawl on its belly for all of time now, it no longer was able to make anything vocal other than hissing. And it's true today, you can look at it in in science, Snakes can hiss, but they have no vocal control. There is only one snake known that has some kind of a mechanism in there that's not used for communication, but it just makes a rattling sound. But all other types of reptiles even make vocal sounds. The devil tends to pervert what God has intended for good. The Holy Spirit descended at Pentecost... As what? Tongues of fire. And our church believes in speaking in tongues for the church for today. So I want to start with a story that would disclose my larger imperative that I will be talking a little bit more about as we go on. There was a barber in a small town. He knew everybody in that town. He did really well. And he wanted to give back to the community. So he invited three of the town clergymen to go fishing with him on his little boat. So Saturday morning, they all hopped in a little boat, and he vroom, got the outboard motor running, headed out to the middle of the lake. Shut the motor off, they started fishing. Sometime in the afternoon, the fish quit biting. They started to just talk among themselves. Got to be really personal. In fact, they started to be real transparent and confess some things that were going on in their life. Catholic priest started out by saying, some years ago, after one of the communion services, there was some extra wine, and I didn't want to waste it, so I drank that wine. And it got to be a habit week after week until now I'm addicted to wine. And if it's discovered... I could be removed from the priesthood. Jewish rabbi said, some months ago, I was at a 
uh, a high school graduation party for one of the neighbors. Somebody handed me one of them ham on buns that you folks all like to eat. I ate it. It was really good. So good that I started buying ham. In the Jewish religion, that's unclean and that's forbidden. If I'm discovered, I will be removed from my position. Baptist preacher said, I was just walking along the street and I kind of picked up a unused lottery ticket. I thought, well, just for fun, I'll scratch off the numbers, and I did. I won $20. It was actually quite exciting. I bought more and more, and now I've got a gambling problem. But worse yet, my debt is so high that I've been taking money out of the collection plates to pay for it. If I'm discovered, I could go to prison. Now they're all looking at the barber who's frantically trying to get his outboard motor started, looking back saying, well, I'm sorry to hear about your struggles, guys, but the worst thing is i got to struggle too. My struggle is with gossip, and right now I can't wait to get back to shore. <laughs> so what if I told you something shocking about someone you respected, perhaps a pastor, perhaps a community leader, perhaps your neighbor, family member, your spouse. That wasn't true. You discovered that it wasn't true, but it was so shocking. You had to investigate. Even though it's not true, there still remains this seed of doubt planted in your mind that maybe a little bit of it was true. Some years ago, I got a spam email about Mr. Rogers, the child, a friend of our neighborhood children on TV, kind gentleman. And it said, shocking news about someone you may have trusted, Mr. Rogers. He was actually a sniper in Vietnam with over 100 recorded kills. And he recorded those kills with tattoos on his arms, and that's why he always wore long sleeves. Now, I couldn't buy that story, but I had to investigate. Maybe there was some kind of a thread of truth in there, and I investigated, and sure enough, it was totally false. Even this was such a big story, um, I think they call it an urban legend, that the Navy actually stepped in and said, look, Mr. Rogers was too old to even be in Vietnam. He was not in the military. It's false. Even so, whenever I see... That little show come on and Mr. Rogers comes into his little room there and takes his sweater off and puts another one on and his funny little shoes. The first image is what's really on his forearms. There's still a seed of doubt in there that was planted. Who gossips? Reader's Digest in 2019 wrote, just a, I got a little excerpt from an article, extroverts gossip more than introverts and people who are wealthier and well-educated gossip more than people who have less money and education. Women also gossip more than men. But neutrally. In other words, men don't gossip as much, but their gossip is a lot more harmful. Not that either one is okay. On the average, people spend about 52 minutes a day gossiping out of 16 hours 
awake. The study concluded that gossip is ubiquitous. It is everywhere. People of all persuasions gossip. But Christians occasionally take it into an art form that we call prayer requests. Everything we speak will remain for eternity. Think of it like sending an email message. Once you hit send, there is no undo button. I actually had an email server that had unsend. It was like one of those, um, what do they call that, uh, when you, when you, the elevator button or the cross the street button that most of them don't really work, a placebo button. <laughs> they don't, the, the lights are going to function no matter what. But that unsend button didn't work. I did some investigation, says, nope, once you hit send, it's out there forever. Somewhere, someone is able to bring that email back if they want to. So it is with everything that we say. It is on God's record for eternity. King David writes in Psalm 19, May the words of my heart and the meditations of, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart always be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my Redeemer. May that be our motto. If the words we speak or listen to corrupts our spirit, damages someone's reputation, creates insubordination to someone in leadership, then the source of what you're listening to has no place in your life. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Gossip is corrupt communication. It is unwholesome. It destroys a person's integrity, and it creates mistrust with the one who spreads it because our words reflect our character. By your words, you can bring healing, and by your words, you can destroy. Proverbs 18 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And for anyone who has a habit of speaking, whether it's gossip or speaking ill in any way, in the book of Numbers, it says, your sin will find you out. Somehow, it just seems to come back to us. Now, I've asked Pastor Jamie to help me out and read the scriptures for today. And I'd like all of you to stand for the first paragraph or so, and then I'll have you seated after that. So if Jamie, could you could please begin. James chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Thank you. Baby seated. He begins by saying, not many of you should be teachers. Why not? 
Isn't that a noble profession? Don't we need good teachers? How many, in fact, of you have been or are a teacher? Raise your hand. In the public schools, private schools, even uh, Sunday school? How about Sunday school teachers? Anyone in the ministry? You are all very noble people. God bless you all. But why does it say that? Paul gives a little insight here to his protege Timothy in chapter 3, verse 16. All scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Anyone who goes into the teaching ministry must be equipped and must know that those of us who teach will be judged more harshly because what we do has eternal consequences. Paul also speaks to his partner Titus in Titus 2 verse 7. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that any opponent may not Put to shame you for what you have said. James uses the analogy of a ship's rudder as compared to the influence of our words. Now, I did a little searching on different ships. How many of you have been on a cruise ship? Okay. How many of you have been on an oil tanker, by the way? Anybody? You can actually go on an oil tanker. Somebody? Somebody raise their hand? We'll find out later. You can actually go on oil tanker. You can, they have, um, you can buy tickets to travel on them. It's not uh, the quickest way to go. But the largest cruise ship that I found, 5,900 passengers. 5,900 passengers and 2,900 crew members. They're like a small city. The largest oil tanker is 1,900 feet. It's like from our parking lot to the gravel piles at the end of the street down there. Massive. Yet they are still, in comparison to their size, are directed by a little tiny plate of steel at the back. When they're in port, they use bow thrusters and rotating propellers. But in the ocean, and when they're traveling, just that little plate moves that big ship. When I was in my mid-40s, I had the idea of going into ministry. And I asked one of my trusted leaders about that. And he very gracious and kindly said to me that you're really approaching this a little bit late in life. In other words, I was too old. Some friends of mine, I thought, you know, we're very close friends. They're still close friends. We're not so tactful. And they came right out and said, you being a preacher, I don't think so. I cannot really see you behind the pulpit. Maybe counseling one-on-one, but the preacher, uh, no, I don't see that. Those words made a 180-degree turn about, and I never had any thoughts of ever going in the ministry again until a miraculous string of events that led up to 2018 turned it around and got me back on the track that I believe God had intended all along. 
Your words have impact. Your words can literally change a person's life calling and direction for eternal consequences. James continues in verse 5. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The great Chicago fire of 1871 is said to have been started by a little oil lamp kicked over by a lady's cow. Because of other situations and the dryness and the fact that the whole city was built out of wood, that fire spread, killing 300 people, destroying three square miles, 100,000 people homeless, 17,000 structures destroyed, all from potentially a little oil lamp. Interesting enough, I'm a, I like to study nature, and I found out that the white pines of northern Michigan were all cut down to rebuild that city of Chicago. That's another added cost. But how does this relate to our context? Our context. Mrs. O'Leary was an Irish Catholic immigrant woman. All those labels combined place her in an undesirable person category. Irish immigrants were despised in old Chicago. She was accused falsely by a newspaper report that it was her cow that started the fire. And just like James' statement and the analogy here, the fire of prejudice raged against her and her family. It was about a hundred or more years that her family was finally exonerated and it was said that no one really knows the cause of that fire. It was a combination of things, but still very likely to be just one spark or flame that initiated it. James continues. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. That phrase in there, staining the whole body. The King James states it defiles the whole body. And from the Expositor's Study Bible, it says, constantly speaking in a negative way can bring about physical illness in the body. So I found an article from Johns Hopkins University called Hope and in in Your Heart. The mechanism for the connection between health and positivity remains murky, but researchers suspect that people who are more positive may be better protected against the inflammatory damage of stress. Another possibility is that hope and positivity help people make better health and life decisions and focus more on long-term goals. Studies also find that the negative emotions can weaken immune response. And it goes on from there. But I think there's much research that points that negative thoughts are unhealthy for us. And positive thoughts and positive actions can be just the opposite and build us up. My dad's a prime example of that. At 95 years old, He's still pretty spry, although he has to walk in a walker. 
His mind is all there. His thoughts are still what they used to be. He still speaks into our lives. His prayers for dinners are just, I've recorded them because I want to have them forever. And even his view of the future at 95 years old continues in a positive direction. This past Thursday, he graduated from Granville High School at 95 years old. Three television stations were there. About 120 people were there. It was quite an amazing event. Negativity may be manifest in our thoughts and actions, but it's most graphically displayed in our words. Jesus said in Matthew 12, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. James continues the chat with verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Timothy Treadwell was a man a year older than myself. He lived for 13 summers in Katmai National Park in Alaska under the radar of the park rangers because what he was doing was illegal. Timothy lived in and amongst the grizzly bears of that park. I was amazed to find some videos years ago very explicitly showing him feeding, hand-feeding grizzly bears, laying down and sleeping alongside them, actually petting cubs from one of the female bears, which you know is the last thing you want to do with any kind of a bear. In the, in the winter times, Timothy would travel back down to the main part of the U.S. and he would give seminars on his research that he was illegally doing up in Katmai National Park. And in one of the videos that I saw, he spoke about the fact that he did that because he could not live in normal society. He couldn't get along with people, but he found peace among some of the most deadly and dangerous creatures of North America. But he couldn't control his tongue, but yet he could, to an extent, control these bears that he lived with. Ironically, he was the only recorded death by grizzly bears in that park. And his videos were all quickly pulled offline and you can't find them anymore. Humanity has done amazing things in the world besides taming animals. We've created great societies. We've cured horrible diseases. We've explored outer space. Yet our uncontrolled words are very likely the main directing force in every world conflict. Continues with verse 9. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. There's a rabbi named Joseph Toluskin who wrote the book Words That Hurt, Words That Heal, and he gives seminars on the subject. He begins by asking people, 
just to raise their hands, if you think that you could go 24 hours without saying something unkind or hurtful to or about some person. A few people will reluctantly raise their hands thinking that they could. Most of them just shout out, no, nope, can't do that. He goes on to say, if you cannot answer yes, then recognize you have a serious problem. Because if you can't go 24 hours without drinking liquor, you're addicted to alcohol. If you can't go 24 hours without smoking a cigarette, you're addicted to nicotine. If you can't go 24 hours without any unnecessary thing, you're addicted to that thing. Therefore, if you can't go 24 hours without saying something unkind about others, you are addicted to slander or malicious talk. And slander is a false spoken statement damaging to a person's reputation, considered to be a crime. Yes, it is that serious. And God considers it that serious as well. In Proverbs 6, he says this, These six things the Lord hates, yes, seven, are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans and probably uses the tongue to do it, feet that are swift, running to evil, and probably uses the tongue as well, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. Three of the seven are directly related to our tongues. Potentially, two more have something to do with it. Over half, potentially, of the sins God hates come from the misuse of our tongue. And that alone should be a wake-up call. We often consider that when we misuse or misspeak trivial. God doesn't. And one day we'll stand before him in judgment and have to give account for how we used our tongues. Verse 11, please. Does a spring, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What you fill yourself with will spill out when you're bumped or agitated. Think of two glasses. One glass is filled with honey. The other glass is filled with acid. If the Glass with the honey gets bumped and tips over. It won't even spill out if you're quick enough to pick it up. But if it does, it's nothing but sweetness. Then think about the glass of acid. All you have to do is bump it, and it will splatter. And whatever it touches fizzes, burns, effervesces, and corrodes what it touches. Fill yourself with honey, pass on the acid. Now put your steel toes on because I may step on your toes right now. If you spend your evenings reading columns or checkout counter tabloids, when you get agitated, you're going to react automatically with suspicion and distrust because that's what you've conditioned yourself by what you have fed on. 
If you spend your evenings watching nothing but the news and talk shows, then when you get agitated, you will sound just like a conservative talk show host or a liberal politician, depending on which one of those you are constantly feeding on. And my advice, whether you're offended with that or not, is to stop watching the news. Because in the last two years, perhaps in the last two decades, what do you recall has lifted your spirit from the news? What do you recall has caused you to think highly of another person? What have you heard that has caused you to live a godly and ethical life from the news? Last year I did a short study on this and found 3% of what we hear and see from the news, 3% affects us personally. 97% is nothing more than entertainment. All of the above behaviors and many more cause us to be out of balance in the wrong direction. But Paul brings us back in Philippians 4 verse 8. Finally, brothers, by the way, ladies don't feel left out here because apparently the brothers have a bigger problem with this because Paul keeps ta- or James keeps talking about brothers, so hope that makes you feel a little bit better, but not off the hook. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything of excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. That one should be written down and reviewed every day if you have to. Fill yourself with the word of God, and when you get bumped or agitated, you won't react harshly. And the only thing that will spill out of you is honey. I've used this acronym before. It's the word THINK, T-H-I-N-K. It stands for, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Before you say anything to somebody, and I literally mean this, this next week, before you say anything to anyone, give it some thought, why am I saying this? And you do that for a while, and it becomes second nature that you automatically, in your subconscious, have reviewed what you're about to say, and it will be appropriate. But before you say anything to somebody this week, or before somebody says something to you, go through this checklist. First of all, is it true? I shouldn't have to explain that one. But Jesus adds to it, Matthew 5, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Speak truth. Does it help? Or does it hinder. Sometimes we can say things that are not bad, even good, but the intent is not to help. It's to mislead people, to set them back on their path. Does it inspire or does it intimidate? Is it really necessary or is it non-essential? 
Years ago, one of my pastors said that about gossip. He basically said, if it's not necessary to say, it's likely gossip. That's one good rule of thumb. If it's not necessary, it may be gossip. Is it kind or is it cold, coarse, inconsiderate? 1 Corinthians 13 lays it out. It's another one that you should review all the time because if you walk and follow in love, you'll never go wrong. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not rude. So wait, wait, don't tell me. It's a, it's a radio show from National Public Radio. I used to have it as background noise in my workshop on Saturdays. Didn't really pay close attention to it, but it was just kind of nice to have people doing something in the background so I didn't feel like I was alone. They had a segment called Bluff the Listener where they have a pan group of panelists who present a news story from that week. One gives the real story, two other will give fake stories, and then the caller has to guess which one. Gets it right, he gets some worthless gift. There really wasn't much that I would want. But I don't use this as anything specific to the message here today, although there are some, there are some things that we could pull out of here. I just want to steal the title, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me because I think it applies so well when somebody is about to gossip to you because it doesn't let you off the hook if you're just the one listening. Well, I didn't say anything, but you're listening. You're still partaking. Wait, wait, don't tell me that. Whenever you're about to hear something that is not true, it is not helpful, it is uninspiring, it is not necessary and is not kind. Do your best to respond. Wait, don't tell me. It's going to take some integrity to do that. Conversely, whenever you're about to speak and you're about to say something that is untrue, it is not helpful. It is uninspiring. It is really not necessary. And it is unkind. Remember that just like this toothpaste tube, toothpaste cannot be put back into the tube. Neither can your words be retracted. James now gives us the solution to all of this in applying wisdom. Pastor Jamie. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. 
But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. And here's where James helps us to put the cap back on the toothpaste tube. Verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Worship team, if you could come on up. If you ever work with tools, you will know everything wears out. Some things need to be replaced. Often they need to be sharpened and resharpened. But the tongue gets sharper the more we use it. Do you have a sharp tongue? I will admit that I do. And it's been a long time in my life of being counseled by the Holy Spirit, but there are still some times where there's a comment that I really want to shout out, like Don Rickles used to do. But then I'll pause, and it's like the Holy Spirit hands me this little cap, and I put it on, and I actually feel the satisfaction of knowing that God had my back on that one. Plato said, wise men speak because they have something to say. Fools speak because they have to say something. Where's your name? On the wise list or on the fools list? Once again, growing up, Probably the majority of my life, my name was on the fool's list. And some foolish statements still remain in the back of my mind. It would be so fun to say this right now. But when I pause, the Holy Spirit comes in, puts that cap, and again, feel the satisfaction and the comfort of knowing he is there I want to close with one statement here that I want to be our takeaway for today five things to remember with care to whom you speak of whom you speak and how and when and where. Heavenly Father, thank you for just another few moments that we have this morning with these people. Father, we thank you for the gift that you've given us with our tongues. 
that by it we can share your word, your salvation, your wonder and awe, your kindness and goodness. Lord, help us to truly tame our tongues. That everything in our heart that comes out will be honorable to you in Jesus' name. While your heads are still bowed, please, I always want to give opportunity to those who've never known the free gift of salvation and do not have a relationship with the Lord. In Romans, we read that no one is without excuse because even nature itself speaks of God. And none of us are righteous. We've all fallen short of God's glory. Every one of us in this room. The only difference is that some of us have made Jesus the Lord of our life. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if we are to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is the most important one to me. Because even though you may call on the Lord and may not find a great change right away, it is the first important step. And if you are genuine in calling on his name, he will follow through and he will walk you through into eternity one day. So if that's you, I won't call you out. I won't ask for a show of hands. I won't even pray the sinner's prayer this morning. We're going to do it in a more personal way. And if our prayer partners could please come forward and make your ways evenly spread out toward the outer edges here, please. If you just made that decision or you have further questions about that decision or what it means to be saved or what we even do here in this church, and you're struggling with that, don't let that be a stumbling block. If you have need of healing, deliverance, perhaps some kind of a relation, restoration need, any prayer need at all, or if you need to be accountable with somebody because you have failed in taming your tongue. This would be a marvelous time to find somebody to pray with you and just confess that. Our prayer partners are going to be off into the corners. And I would like to maintain the front area here for those who just wish to come perhaps bow down and pray, connect with God on a personal level. I want to ask that you just come to this area here. If you wish to be prayed for, come to one of these on the outer wings or come specifically to Pastor Jamie or myself. But please, do come as the music plays.
There's just such a sweet presence of the Lord here. Father, we just acknowledge that you're here. You're working in us. You're speaking to us. You're teaching us. You're comforting us. You're molding us. You're guiding us. You're shaping us, God. I just thank you, Father, that there is no condemnation in Christ. There's conviction, Father, but there's no condemnation. And the conviction that you bring, it's out of love because you want us to grow. You love us enough to teach us, to speak to us, to challenge us. And you've done that this morning through Pastor Rocky. Your word says in Proverbs that the words of the godly are a life-giving fountain. And Father, we pray that we would rise to the occasion, we would hear your word today, and we would respond. That we would speak words of life to those around us at all times, Father. Father, forgive us for the times that we have not spoken words of life. May we choose to speak words of life. May we think before we speak. May we speak things that are pure, lovely, of a good report, as your word says. God, I just thank you for every person that is here this morning, and I just speak a blessing over everyone here. I pray that throughout this day, throughout this week, we would experience your nearness, Jesus. That we would get in your word, Father. That we would worship you. That we would seek you. That we would put you first, Father. We thank you for your love for us, God. We love you so much. It is such a joy to be in your house, God. Such a joy to worship with other believers. We just thank you and love you today with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We just want to thank you so much for joining us this morning. You're welcome to still pray at the altars if you need to, but the rest of you, you are free to go. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.com church.